Hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. Coming up tonight on that great podcast, we wind down the 2022 year. We've got we'll probably one more pod left before we move uh, into 2023, and we decided to get you through your holiday with a special edition of Peak Cinema. Oh, can't wait. Looking at a classic tonight, one that I think you're probably going to like. Uh, go through some of the we try to we try to hit classics here on the pod, but this one's a classic classic, probably the oldest one we've ever done. Doing White Christmas from 1954, Bing Crosby, Danny Kaye. It, it's a staple, staple in the house. So going to examine all the things that go into the uh, kind of this movie, but also kind of the Mount Rushmore of uh, Christmas films. Try to establish that canon a little bit further tonight. So Lauren's here. I'm here. Ryan's here, although it's Sunday night when we record this. We're probably not going to put this up till middle of the week, so he's probably still nursing some football stuff, uh, but that'll all be taken care of later on, I suppose. So hope you enjoy it. Should be a fun pod tonight, and uh, we will take it from there. So it's Peak Cinema. It's Lauren. It's Ryan. It's me. Merry Christmas in advance, everybody. I hope you have a wonderful holiday. I hope everything goes well and uh, continue to listen to the podcast. Now, Peak Cinema. Yeah, I had to get some new Peak Cinema music for uh, for this one because for some reason, my Peak Cinema music disappeared on me. Hey, hey, it's the Tim Anderson podcast. I'm Tim. That is a crying Kieran, or not even crying. He just seems excited to be on the podcast today as we're joined, of course, by my guy, Rhino Ryan Nelson Kane. Hey, Ryan. Good to be here. Uh, he's just playing on his activity map. Uh He's, he's discovering his love of toys. We'll put it that way. Yes. Lots of first happening right now over there with him. First Christmas, discovering body parts, discovering toys, all the good stuff. All the good stuff about being young, Ryan. Yeah. I mean, you, you can't uh, you can't overstate it. These are big things that he's never going to remember, but we certainly will. Yeah, you having those moments uh, already? These emotional kind of crying moments. Like, how many times a day do you cry? Over under? Uh well, we're we're under one for me per day. But you've got to remember, my grandpa just died too. So there's there's some of that mixed in too. So it's a very emotional time of year. And as you know, I'm a man of exquisite passion. So it's very exquisite uh, passion. Exquisite passion. Never heard so yeah. much passion. That's right. Just so it, it, it's we're 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 kind of uh, you know we're we're I don't even know the phrase. I was going to say playing with house money. That's not even that's not even what I'm getting at here. It's just. Uh, it's an emotional time of year, man. It's 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 Christmas time. It sure is. It sure is. And of course, on the other side, uh, on an episode of Peak Cinema, we wouldn't be complete if we did not have the lovely and talented Lauren Nelson Kane here on the pod this evening. Good to have you here, Lo. Good to see you. Good to be back. Good to be back. Uh, excited for or a little worried about our movie tonight. <laughs> You know, I I did watch it with, you know, we got a lot to talk about. We got a lot to talk about. Yeah. Let me ask you this first. Uh, it is the Christmas season, as you know. Yes. Lauren, where does this movie, it's in the canon, right? There's no question about it. It's in Absolutely. the Christmas movie canon, has to be there. Correct. Is it in the Mount Rushmore? I mean, I think for some people, for some people it is. Um is it not so it's not your Mount Rushmore? Not yours. No. All right, what's your I, Mount Rushmore? Oh good lord. Uh Muppet Christmas Carol, obviously. Yeah. Um, that's a 
That's a top. Probably the Santa Claus. The original. Oh, that's a shame. That's a shame. <laughs> the original and none of the sequels and certainly not what I'm sure is that terrible show on Disney+. Plus. Um. Oh, man. That, this is actually hard. All right. Put a pin in that. Ryan, is White yeah. Christmas in your Mount Rushmore? Uh, I don't really have a Mount Rushmore of Christmas movies, but it's certainly in my Christmas canon. I, I love this movie. It's a tradition for my family. So it is it. in my, it's in my Mount Rushmore. It's definitely in the canon. Um, it's just because we start to think about, when I think of the Mount Rushmore, I'm thinking of the go-tos that are yearly, that are must watch, right? And a lot of people have like 20 movies in that, but there are some things that you can specifically remember, you know, song for song, word for word. Because you watched it with your grandmother, you watched it with your dad or your mom, and it's very instrumental. So my four on the Mount Rushmore of Christmas movies, I have White Christmas. I have A Christmas Carol just because, like, it is all-encompassing. So that's Muppet's Christmas Carol, Mickey's Christmas Carol. How many versions of A Christmas Carol have been made? It yeah. has to be in the canon. Just that story has to be in the Mount Rushmore, right? So whatever Absolutely. it is, George C. Scott, Muppets. Mickey, you name it, the Christmas Carol's there. Charlie Brown Christmas. Oh yeah, yeah. You can't. It's hard to call that a movie. It's a special, but it's a yearly, like must watch. Yeah. You can quote it. Like almost everybody knows the Charlie Brown Christmas stuff. Like they know the plot of it. The lights, please. The Linus thing. So I that's. Think I, I think I would put that on my Mount Rushmore for sure. That's a yearly then, watch. Then a Christmas story. Because I think that was like the first one to do the the 24 hours. It's now just, it's been, I don't know how many, well over a decade, right? 15, 20 years of just TBS running it nonstop. Uh, yeah. Sw- swap swap a Santa Claus, the Santa Claus in mind for a Christmas story. And then also add Rudolph. Yeah, Rudolph, Frosty, the Grinch. All of that has to come into play. I get all that. So those would be my four. Christmas Vacation? Yeah, Christmas Vacation is in the canon, but I think it's just outside the Mount Rushmore. But I bet you in like 50 years, it's kind of like with presidents, right? The presidents were already on Mount Rushmore, so they can't add. But if they did add, we would add like, you know, Kennedy and maybe three or four other guys up in there, you know, FDR, you know, you start running them down the list, right? You know, that next the next Rushmore would would have Christmas Vacation on it. And maybe in 50 years, it'll overtake because White Christmas will become kind of outdated and old. Like, it's a wonderful life. If it's not outdated already. But, like, It's a Wonderful Life to me is not a not a watchable. I wouldn't go. I wouldn't watch that again. So I don't need to see it again. Uh, maybe White Christmas life. will become that. It's a Wonderful Life, I think, is outdated because it's depressing. <laughs> it's like yeah, really it's not depressing. That it's, it's depressing, yes. But some would argue so is Christmas Carol. Yes, but A Christmas Carol has like a happy ending. And I think that's yes. why it endures. You know, it's this it's it's the story that that endures in every generation. It's you know, rich rich guy doesn't understand his life doesn't understand the life around him. He's a depressing, annoying egomaniac. And he gets taught the error of his ways and then he loves Christmas. I that has like a really nice 
through line. And I guess technically it's a wonderful life also has a happy ending, but like it gets a hell of a lot darker than a Christmas Carol. I would agree with that. I would agree with that. Kieran agrees with that too. He sure does. He's very much into this, by the way, it's first Christmas for, for Kieran. He is into this, isn't he? Is he into his Christmas spirit? Does he have it? I would say so. Um, If not, we are totally forcing it on him by buying him a lot of Christmas related gear. (laughs) He's got a little, a little pajama set with Santa's face on it and a matching Santa hat. So he's, he's prepared. Yes. And uh, I mean, certainly he's going to have Christmas thrust upon him by you two uh, and Halloween probably, too. He really didn't get to absorb Halloween because no. he was such a little guy, but he will be absorbing next Halloween, I'm, I am sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, no. We already have a plan for next Halloween. So so you say this movie right before we kind of got into it as we introduced you in, Lauren, that this one, you got thoughts. It's just... I know it's such an important movie to so many people. It's not an important movie to me. (laughs) And it's not, it's also like so much of like holiday movies are movies that you grew up watching. Yeah. You know, with, with your family or your friends or the people in your life. This was just not a movie that I grew up watching. I've, I've seen it before. My family has shown it before. Uh, my family likes it. I'm just not. It's not. You mean a to tell me the Kane house, the Kane household, as wholesome as it is, and it's wholesome, <laughs> did not sit down because of, you know, to see Bing, to celebrate uh, the greatness of Bing Crosby. Maybe a handful of times, but I really don't remember. You've got to remember, Tim, that there are. They're, they're not a Bing Crosby household. They are a Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin. It's the same thing. Spaghetti. No, it's not. No, it's not. Spaghetti dinner household uh, where they're going to eat their meatballs and have their their red vino. Uh, you know, they're, they're not going to enjoy a good Lutefisk in Bing Crosby. Is all I'm saying. Bing Crosby's not Lutefisk. That's uh, not yes, Lutefisk. Yes, he is. No, Look, and, of course and- not. He's, he's the Midwestern Frank Sinatra. I'm sorry to say. Yes. I look, there's nothing wrong. I mean, there is something wrong. I mean, I don't like Bing. Okay. We'll get into it. <laughs> Bing Crosby can sing period. End of sentence. That's a compliment. Yes. Full stop. Yes. He can sing. What else you got? He can sing. Good for him. You know what I appreciate about this era of people in general, actors, Hollywood. What? Um, I feel like to be like a big star in Hollywood, you had to do literally everything. Like you, you can't just be an actor. You had to act, sing, dance. You had to put out music albums. You had to do comedy shows. You had to go on TV. You had to do everything. If you were going to be a big time star, you couldn't just be here. Here's what I do. I sing and that's what I do. But here's my thing. I would argue that that is what Bing Crosby is in this movie. You know, it's not like Rosemary Clooney is the greatest dancer, but she can dance. And she's obviously a good actress and a good singer. Vera Ellen's voice is not used in this movie, but she's a good actress and a good dancer. Danny Kaye can do all three. Bing Crosby is also there. 
boy, Kieran is so into this tonight. I've never heard him so. He's usually, you know, football, he gets really into the football pod. Tonight, he's really into this movie pod. Well, he did watch this movie with us. So, oh, so he's got thoughts. He's got opinions. We got to let him have them. I, you're saying Bing doesn't dance in this movie. Uh, not well, and I would argue he doesn't act very well either. <laughs> I would argue he is exactly how actors acted in the 1940s and 50s. I think like he's that, just being himself. I think that's just being Crosby. I think that's, that's Ryan Reynolds now. Like that's who he is. Like Ryan Reynolds has no range. I mean, that's but it works. But it but, works. But Ryan Reynolds, I, I would first of all, I would argue Ryan Reynolds has range. He just. Keep signing on to the stupidest pieces of shit. And like occasionally he's in Deadpool. But I actually think that Ryan Reynolds is pretty talented. There are a couple of movies where I could note like Buried or um, The Voices where you can see his range. He's in a musical right now. Yeah. Um, I would argue he does have range. He just um, maybe has bad agents or something. Bing Crosby is certainly in this film. He's in it. He's in this film. He's he's physically there and he does sing. And that's nice. Um and then that's it. <laughs> I don't I don't think he has a lot of um talents otherwise. I don't think he has a ton of chemistry with Rosemary Clooney. I think any chemistry that's that's happening between them is entirely on her shoulders. She's Maybe. really, really working hard to make the audience believe that she is in love with Bing Crosby. That she's interested in. And this is the other part, too, is that Bing, this is Bing kind of at, like, the downside. Like, you know, this is his fa- This is his most popular famous movie. Yeah. But in the, ni- the 1940s was where he owned it. Like, he, he was the number one grossing actor for basically six out of the ten years in the 1940s. And he had hits in the 30s as well. He only does, you know, what, a handful, like 12 more films after this? And I say only 12 because, well, he was doing four four a year for 20 years. Like 1935 to 1954, he's doing four movies a year. And to be honest, and granted, I'm not like the most versed in older Hollywood. This and Holiday Inn are the only two movies I can think of him being in at all. He's in some of the road movies too. Like he rode Bob Hope, I think, like the Hope oh, Crosby, okay. all those famous uh, road movies, which again, like are they the greatest actors? No, but it's meant to be a comedy. It's meant to be just a, a vehicle for Bob Hope to crack jokes and a vehicle for Bing Crosby to sing. And that's what this movie really is. It's just yeah. a vehicle for Bing Crosby to be Bing Crosby and be the big star that he is. And he's like like I said, we're catching him. He's this is Tom Brady year 2 of the Bucks that we're getting right now. Like you can, he's still got flashes. Like there's flashes of the greatness of the goat or whatever that is him. But you can also see like, yeah, there's this young Marlon Brando over here though. Just starting to get it rolling. Ah, Frank Sinatra is kind of in his prime over here. And we've got some guys coming around the corner and Bing is, he's there, but he's, he's not, he's, he's there. He's the man. He's unquestioned. But we also can, we're starting to root for the other guys. Like, we're starting to see some other faces pop up and buck their heads. Yeah, absolutely. And I just, uh, this is obviously a vehicle for him. Like, that's, that's 
blatant. I mean, it's this is in some ways kind of a reboot or something of Holiday Inn. It's a very similar movie. Um, same all, song. Hell, same, Christ, they sing the same damn same song, song in this movie. Same, same composer, same lead star, same set. They they reuse <laughs> parts of the Holiday Inn set for White Christmas. That's common Hollywood stuff, though, don't you think? Don't you? I don't know. Maybe they all reuse the same sets. Another fun fact. I don't know why. And I, I tried to research this. Like, why did they make such similar movies like 10 years apart? And I couldn't find an answer. Uh, but also, so Fred Astaire is in, is in Holiday Inn. Yep. They tried to get him for White Christmas. Yeah, you get me on my research. He says no because the script is garbage and the script needs a major rewrite. And he reads the initial script and was like, the script's bad. The script's really bad. Can't do this. <laughs> so they had to call in other guys to write funny stuff and to rewrite the script. And those two guys have said it. I think it was Norman Norman Panama and uh, I'm trying to think of who the other writer is. But they they interviewed them later on down the road. And they're like, yeah, maybe they're like the most torturous six weeks of my life worst experience of writing like the whole script needed to be completely redone like probably gutted. probably and i'm assuming because they were just effectively trying to remake holiday Inn. yeah had uh, to make a story that worked yeah so they were just trying to like because it's basically this movie is holiday inn without the i think relationship drama of that movie and then just add some military stuff but it's pretty freaking similar yeah, the military piece is interesting, which I can't wait till we kind of touch on that a little bit here as well. Since you brought it up, let's get to some of the background stuff of the film. 77% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, and that's a little different now because obviously most of the, we didn't have Rotten Tomatoes in the 1950s. So it's hard to yeah. find all the archives of everybody who saw it back then. But modern people have rewatched it because obviously it's everywhere. And so it's got a 77 score on Rotten Tomatoes, an 88% audience score. That's not surprising. It's a crowd pleaser. Yeah. Um, first film that Paramount, and they're proud of this too. If you watch this on Netflix right now uh, or whatever, proudly presents the first film ever in VistaVision. So yeah. basically their version of Technicolor. Yeah, I didn't, I guess I didn't really understand why that was particularly um, like innovative for the time. Is Is it just that it's in color? It's in that, I think that it's in color and it's in that bright color. Like, I think that's part of the reason they made such a stink out of the eyes of Rosemary Clooney and Vera Ellen. Oh, they're brown eyes. No, they're blue. They're brown. Well, it's because those eyes are blue. They're very blue in this movie. And it's something we can now talk about. We can see the vibrant costume choices, uh, the big, uh, the scenery in the background, even though, you know, it's totally a set. Yeah, in uh, Germany or wherever it was from the opening scene, you're like, boy, that looks like a playset, doesn't it? Uh, but it doesn't matter because it's in color and it's cool, and we're looking at it, and that's how. Uh, I mean, that's I, I guess how it all comes together. So the Vista Vision piece, it's a huge play by Paramount. They've got Bing Crosby, who's Tom Brady. They've got uh, in color. I mean, this is a total. This is a home run for Paramount. It's the number one grossing movie of 1954 as it beats 20,000 leagues under the sea from Disney uh, rear window. Your guy, Jimmy Stewart also on the back half, but he's ready to make yeah. a surge. Like he's ready to make a second go here in the fifties as older Jimmy Stewart. 
Like yeah. younger Jimmy Stewart made his run in the 30s, 40s. Mr. Smith goes to Washington. It's a Wonderful yeah, he, Life. Here he kind of makes himself more of the the comedic actor in the yeah, 1950s, right? He kind of resurges really, as as kind of the funny guy. And suspense guy. Like he'll do some of these, like he'll do Rear Window. He does Vertigo. He does, yeah. you know, Anatomy of a Murder. He does a, a lot, I'm lot thinking, of things. I'm thinking about like, especially late. When he does like Johnny Carson frequently. Oh yeah, he's on right? Carson. Like he's, he's on Carson all the time. Like, celebrity roasts. He's doing all that stuff all the time as well. So big run of him, but it starts right here, right? Starts right here. Gone with the Wind is sixth. The really? Cane Mutiny is five. Yes. Uh, well, and let's this see. Movie, on the wa- let's see. Gone with the Wind. On and uh, look at all the other movies that are out that year. Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. I is, love that uh, movie. That's a weird one to me. I've never understood that one. <laughs> um, I'll be perfectly honest with you. Dial M for Murder is out that year. That's number 14 that year. So this, uh, this is kind of a big, you know, go get it year. This is a big one. So a big musical uh, top dog, you know, leads the way at the front of this, uh, the front of the pack for this one. So that's the North American domestic movie chart for 1954. When did Pretty it get released? Stuff. Did it get released around? Christmas time or April no? Tw- actually no April 27th 1954 was the release date so like That's getting into so the weird. vibe before the summer get out there before the summer make that the big summer blockbuster I guess Lauren this is this is before they understood seasons and how marketing works <laughs> <laughs> this is back when they were simply cave people they were just understanding tools they had they, merely you- discovered color Lauren it was <laughs> Your world of marketing and Christmas time scares and confuses me. That's what doesn't make any sense to me that this comes out. In, I would almost it would almost make sense if it came out in April and um, it was in like VHS time so that it would be released on VHS around Christmas time. But that's obviously not happening here. So they just released a Christmas movie around Easter. Yeah. Movable printed type. We must keep this from the serfs unless they gain literacy and threaten the landed gentry. <laughs> absolutely no fucking sense okay so it's out there so it's the number one grossing movie of the year uh again big major rewrites as we mentioned before fred astaire says no is he's originally the guy they want for phil phil davis he's out they then go to a guy named donald o'connor in fact bing crosby walks away from the project from a short amount of time because of the passing of his wife uh so that was big deal and ends up coming back to the project after the rewrites they add danny Kay, and we're off and running yeah, Don- Donald O'Connor, who was in Singing in the Rain, um, you can totally tell that the script was rewritten for him. And Danny Kaye is great in this movie. I will say that. But I just feel like there's a vibe there that you can you can tell it was written for Donald O'Connor, especially given the fact that Singing in the Rain came out, I think, two or three years before this. And it just has a very similar type character type. How you doing, yeah, Danny? Dan, Danny Kay is great. Um, he's absolutely not interested in women in this movie, but or in what like, are you talking about? <laughs> hey, now that's, that is that not, is the gayest himself, man alive. Just he I, is. I, I just um, I I don't buy for a second that he and Peter Allen were were any kind of thing. Well, it's very but, obvious he's way more starstruck by Bing Crosby in the uh in the opening starstruck yeah starstruck wink you know but he's way more into to bob wallace than he ever was into he's, the Haynes he's sisters. got a much 
he's got a much different feeling when he's singing, gee, I wish I was back in the army. Well, he's got <laughs> a big, and he's got like, he judges. What's the first thing he says about uh, Corporal Haynes or the, the army buddy? Freckle face Haynes. He's ugly. What do you mean? He's got sisters. What do you mean? He's ugly. Who cares of his sister? What, what are you talking about? It's, it's bizarre. Bizarre. I, that whole thing of him being in like a pseudo relationship with Vera Ellen makes no sense to me. And I wish the entire storyline was cut because it has no bearing on the story whatsoever. And there's just a whole scene where I am fully convinced that Danny Kay is gay. A full scene where he's just like, she's she's looking at him. She's like, what if a handsome, beautiful man? There's a whole, Lauren, there's a whole number where this man is, is he's dressed in spandex singing about choreography. Please stop. No, I, that's the worst scene in the movie. It's the worst scene in the oh movie. My God. Save that. Put a pin in it because I'll talk about that when we get to worst scenes. Because it's the worst scene in the goddamn movie. It's that combined with the whole like he's like physically recoiling from one of the more most beautiful women I'm sure he's ever seen asking to marry asking to fake marry her. And he's just he's actually backing up. Not at the idea of marriage, but like he he struggles to kiss her later in the movie. What I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with the idea that, well, first of all, don't tell me he's like 24 years old. Like I'm not, I'm I'm not having it. I'm not having it. You mean to tell me he's a private and Wallace is a captain. That guy's like 35, 40 years old in this movie. Ain't no way he's a private. Come on. The ages in this movie, the ages in this movie are insanity to me. First of all, Rosemary and the, rela- Clooney- the way they act, they act like they're a bunch of 19 year olds. Like they just, they're heading to a kegger. Like it's not even, the, it's ridiculous. Bing Crosby is 51 years old when this yes, movie. Yes, thank I you. Know, I don't know how old his character is supposed to be, but he is super 51 and he looks it. He looks 51. Yes. Rosemary Clooney's 26. Her quote unquote younger sister, Vera Ellen, is 33. There's just like, and then Danny Kaye is in his 40s? Yes? I guess. I I don't know how old he is. Who are these people? Here's the thing. Bing Crosby and Rosemary Clooney in this movie is icky. It's... It's not. It's not something that I am. It's not icky. That's not the word I'd use. Bing's a stud. He he is a no. swordsman. Bing, I no, will give you. Yeah, he's an absolute swordsman in this film. <laughs> Bing Bing is a curmudgeon who wears his hat like it's ten years earlier. I don't and disagree. He's a curmudgeon, but he's fifty-one. He's earned the right. I'm forty-one, he, and I'm a goddamn curmudgeon. No, he, yeah, but you know what? You're not out there trying to sling to Rosemary Clooney. <laughs> the the. Uh, the the problem is is that Bing Crosby is not believable in this, and and he may be he he you may be he may be right right in the movie he's written as a swordsman, swordsman. Not a swordsman. he's not total a total swordsman. swordsman. The man the man is saying I'm if if those Haynes sisters are back in our car, I'm going to I'm going to drag them out by the hair. Like that, that's swordsmen don't say stuff like that. Swordsmen. They do in the 1950s. They do. They say much worse. You're, this comes from the guy who just talked about seven brides for seven brothers as one of his all time favorite movies. I'd say it was one of all time favorite movies. I oh, love get that out of here. Get, yeah, get, get the fuck out. I mean, seriously, you, okay. you don't get to talk about that. There is a little bit of this that we have to remember. It is 1954. And while I'm not happy with absolutely everything depicted in the film, it is 1954. And I can't judge it like it came out yesterday. How think about the yes, thank you. 
How I, I, would have, I would have appreciated it more if he would have said he was going to walk in there with a sack of Valencia oranges because they don't <laughs> leave a mark and they let him know who's Stop boss. That. But, hey, uh, you know what? He's a gentleman. He could have went in there. You can't just go into the same gentleman. bed car with mixed company. Like, you can't do that. Like, he he could have very easily have just toppled that mountain that night and slept in that car with them, with the Haynes sisters. That night, could have had him. Chose not to. That's, I, that's, that's gutsy weird. stuff. <laughs> That's weird. Uh, also, it's just like a basic. They're in their twenties. Here's here's a basic thing though. Um, okay, so I could talk about singing in the rain all day, and that's a time. That's a movie for another time. But uh, Gene Kelly is obviously significantly older than Debbie Reynolds in that film. Yes. But I believe their attraction to each other. They fucking hated each other in real life. Just FYI. But I believe their attraction to each other because Gene Kelly is legitimately so charming and Debbie Reynolds could could have chemistry with a rubber chicken. I think Rosemary Clooney is doing her damnedest, but I still don't buy it because Bing Crosby is not charming in that way. See, I don't know. You're right. He's not Sinatra charming. I agree with you there. Like he doesn't have... Like we talk about how all the young quarterbacks, right, are coming in, you know, like like Marlon Brando. He can, he's like Patrick Mahomes. He's flashy. He's good looking. He can do all this stuff. And you got Sinatra, who's in his prime, who's smooth. He's silky. He got the got the singing voice. He can do all this stuff. And you know, Bing's got what he's got. He's like, nope, this is what I do. I do the singing. Got the bass voice. Do this. Got this look. And that's what I do. And that's what I'm doing. And that's usually worked. And for 20 years, it's been very successful. Why change now? Completely understand that. You know what? The, the thing with Bing Crosby and, and like most of these crooners as they got older is, yes, they, they are very charming, right? They, they just kind of ooze that, that masculine energy that you get from mid-century America, right? They're the guys that everybody wanted to be. Yes. But here's the thing. Very much like a, uh, a baseball player who has lost a step and can't get to first quite as easily, so they pack on a little weight and and start hitting some more dingers. You wear your you wear right. your pants up really high, like in that opening scene where they're getting they're getting they're changing out of one right. suit into another suit, which That's is right. so weird. Like it's I don't after, understand that. But the, it's after six o'clock. He's not a farmer. Yeah, the, uh, Jesus Christ! Those <laughs> pants are up by his by his by his boobs, man. Like that's come on. that's his cat. That's his casual suit. That's a sleep suit. Casual the, suit. The uh, uh, the point that I'm trying to make is very much like an older baseball player. All eventually, all you got is the one swing right yeah and 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 you gotta somebody else has got to come in and pinch hit as as much as i like bing crosby uh danny k is pinch hitting for him in this movie and 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 i think k's too much like he's too much for me he he overacts but he's trying to carry because bing cross bing crosby is just complete he's dead weight in this movie other than his singing oh come I mean, on he's now. he is I, just i won't i won't he allow is this. just it's like watching wallpaper be hung yeah, i mean he, watching he is, danny k try to act like try to stay oh. in the game with bing crosby and all these people it's ridiculous like oh, you're there's nothing about him that's believable or all my least favorite scenes are scenes where he has to carry the action like danny he's not k, really good danny k, k hits the so tone that this movie, movie. should have danny k hits the tone that this movie should hit Maybe. Right. And and he's it's because this movie, first of all, is completely ridiculous. Yeah. Second of all, <laughs> it is it is high camp. 
And, and, of and course if they it is. And if they would have played it that way, great. But Bing Crosby, don't fit that role. What are you talking right? about? He just, he's doing this thing That's, the whole movie, man. Bing, Bing Crosby yeah, is and, a caricature of himself in this film. Because well, he's at the end of the line. I told you this. This is, this I, is him. This is Custer's last excuse. stand. That's not an excuse. Uh, just because you're at the end of the line doesn't give you a, a an excuse to be fucking lazy. I He's think lazy. this was just no. He's I think this family. was. He is a Family Guy bit for an hour and a half. Just I a think. Yeah. I don't know. I love it. I love the caricature piece. Yeah, Kay's the guy who drives me nuts in this film. Oh, so disagree. Couple so of other things. A uh, couple other notes. Right. Um, Irving Berlin and Crosby split the profits on this. So they got, they went in on this together, went in on this venture and they, they were 50, 50. So they got about 25% of the cut. Paramount got the other, you know, so those guys split it 50, 50. So 25, 25, and then 50 to Paramount. Pretty good business move by Bing being the highest grossing film. And probably with the way this movie makes money now, I think with inflation, they'd say this movie's grossing well over a hundred million that year probably is what it would have added up to. So huge money for Bing. Uh, you mentioned Vera Ellen does not do her own singing in this movie. Trudy Stevens does the singing for Vera Ellen as Vera Ellen lip syncs all the songs, which I actually didn't know for the longest time. Um, songs are hit and miss. There's tons of them in this, and some of them are really good, like really hummable tunes that like stay in your head, and some that are dreadful that I, I just I don't like at all. Um, I do think, though, this movie also shows that in this period, it's really interesting. The old school tough guys, what what classifies as a tough guy back then? Because you have John Wayne and John Wayne's kind of a tough guy. But other than that, the tough guys are these sort of singing song and dance men like Crosby, Sinatra. Those are considered like if you think of people like my grandfather, who was probably like, you know, would probably be a Republican today. But those modern, you know, those very kind of moderate Democrats or whatever it is back then, you know, the guys who could vote for Eisenhower in one election and then turn around and vote for somebody not Eisenhower in the next election could vote for a Kennedy, you know, something like that. That would be, it's the same thing here. Like that's, those are those folks that are just like, well, when Bing Crosby throws his support towards somebody, that's who I'm going to vote for because I love me some Bing Crosby or I love me some John Wayne. It's really interesting how the actors, the guys like that, are revered in such a way by men, like by the men of the 1950s and the 1940s. Like I mean, Bing is a loved, beloved dude by by men in that time. My grandfather, like, freaking loved like oh, yeah. a Bing Crosby or a John Wayne movie. Put one of them on, he'd watch that that shit all the time. That's what I want to know is like, when did that tide turn? And I'd have to do some actual research on that, but like when did it you know when did the tide turn to it just being such a non-masculine thing to be do you able think vietnam to like, do you think like dance? when it turned into war protests and you know actors maybe i mean when people stopped wearing a tie when they went outside like could it could it maybe. could it have been something like that long hair and Look, beads I don't wanna, and pot i don't want to um <clears throat> Uh, Ryan's got a good theory get, here. I'm sure. I, I don't want to get political here. Don't but, get political. No, this is a, just no, an observation. No, I, I, this is I know, just an observation. I know, but there's, but there's a real historical answer to this. Okay, I would like to know. Uh, Nixon's Southern strategy is the answer to this question. So oh. all of all of these guys have one thing in common. What is that thing? They're white. I mean, and yes. 
in the late 60s as part of kind of this influential structure, uh, even as guys who, you know, they call themselves Republican and now Republicans are starting to support these policies that are more pro-segregation and, you know, they're kind of trying to defend their own kind of hegemony here. Uh, and and they see it as an att- attack on their own wealth because who is coming up in this time? Black artists. And they're kind of starting to take cuts of the pie. So, of course, these old white artists are going to throw their support behind the moneyed interests that have always kind of backed them and their friends who are now in Congress who they were fundraising for and things like that. Of, of course, that's going to happen. So when the parties flipped in the late 60s, all of these guys became hardline Republicans that we would kind of see as familiar today. It's an interesting shift, too, that Hollywood, I mean, these are the big names in Hollywood, which now Hollywood is considered this leftist, elitist, mm-hmm. you know, you know, organization, rightfully so. It largely is, right? Yeah. It's a largely uh, left liberal, you know, kind of place. But I would argue 1954, it's not. Like, it's just the actors that are there. Wayne, John Wayne, a noted conservative. Reagan's a conservative. You go, you know, Bing would have probably, I don't know what his exact politics were, but I'm sure him, Sinatra, all considered by probably modern day Republican conservative types. I would, I would probably be ventured to guess. And I think you're probably right, Ryan. There is, there is a lack of diversity. Certainly why to watch this film, it's it's called White Christmas for the snow, but it's also called White Christmas because there ain't anybody else there. Also, uh, to add to that, just a little fun fact, or I guess a not so fun fact. So This movie is, like I've mentioned before, kind of a rewritten Holiday Inn. And in Holiday Inn, and P.S., I did not know this until recently because I did not grow up watching a version of Holiday Inn that had this scene in it, but there is an actual minstrel show scene. Tough scene. Yeah, tough, tough look. And uh, there's a song in White Christmas that I have apparently blocked from my memory where they're singing about a minstrel show, and it's a very similar scene but they are not in blackface in this one and so that was supposed to be like look at us progress or something but they are still singing about a minstrel show i yeah i mean yeah, I, again, I, it is 1954 shit like that is gonna happen yeah but can't okay. judge i can't hold 1954 to the standard of 2022 can't do I, it it's not it's not fair i can't do it it's hard but, but that scene was that scene, even without the blackface, was hard to watch. And I just kept watching it being like, is something going to happen that I have just blocked from my memory? That would fall under like a what ages, what doesn't age well. Like there are things that age well in these movies. Like that you're watching, you're like, yeah, you know, there's something, you know, the train ride from Florida to New York. That's kind of interesting and novel and fun and might be something to think about in the future or whatever. That's kind of a cool way to do it. And uh, then you get, Stuff like that that doesn't yeah. age very well, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. I think that falls into that. And especially, um, especially since they, they have been cutting out. I did some research on this. They have been cutting out that scene in Holiday Inn from broadcasts of it since like the 80s. Yes. So people my age don't don't even know that exists. And then all of a sudden there's just this song in White Christmas about a fucking minstrel show. And I'm like, <laughs> can we also cut this scene out? Well, while you're at it, you can cut choreography and cut all the songs <laughs> that they don't even fucking use in the show. Like they rehearse all of these songs and none of them, none of them get no. sung in the actual performance. None as, of them. As far as I'm concerned, the actual show is a song about being in the army. And yes. Pro- probably sisters for a fourth fucking time. And then white Christmas. <laughs> 
that's that's the show. That's the big show that they and, need like hundreds of performers for. Lauren, didn't you know that there were no such devoted sisters? <laughs> God, such devoted, backstabbing, passive aggressive sisters. And the old man. We'll follow the old man. Uh, we get that twice, and I'm glad we do because it's my favorite one in the show. It's and it's favorite. not. It's a, there's not even a song. It's just a. It's just a. Ch- it's a march. It's a chant. Doesn't matter. Still one of my favorites. It's the thing that does stay in your head at the end and at the beginning, without question. I like that one. Uh, all right. Should we do favorite scenes, or do you got something else you want to hit on? No, I think I think now's the time because I have. <laughs> Because we're 40 minutes in and we need to start actually getting into the stuff. (laughs) All right. Favorite scenes. I actually love, I love the open scene with the, uh, with the war backdrop and the whole, you know, Bob Wallace is singing and he's the big showman and here comes the general and they all sing the big song to the general. Uh, You love it, man. You just love that stuff. Especially if you have an old relative that, you know, like my, you know, my grandfather, military background, a lot of these guys back then. And I bet you all, everybody who went to the theater, I'm going to guess, who maybe had gotten home a decade earlier from World War II, all probably went and was like, yep, I feel like I can relate to that and appreciate that. That's, that's the tune right there. That was a big hit, I think. Huge. And it plays. It just totally plays and it works. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I would say like just the, just Bing Crosby singing White Christmas at the beginning there. I That's think lovely I, too. I think I almost appreciate that more than the big White Christmas scene at the end. Me it's too. It's like, it's smaller. It's, it's, it feels like it means more in that particular moment than it does at the end of the film. So yeah, I would say, I would say I like that scene a lot. Yeah. I like the opening. Yeah. Um, Ryan also, favorite. Uh, oh, go ahead, Lauren. You got one. Go ahead. Say, also, I, um, anytime, not a scene per se, but anytime that receptionist was being a busybody. Mary Wicks, the yes. great Mary Wicks. Oh gosh. She's the funniest thing in that movie. Like, Mary Wicks is great. Down. She's my favorite. Um, I, I can't remember what she's talking about, but she, oh, when she thinks she hears Bing Crosby on the phone with yep. that Ed Sullivan show guy. Yep. And she tells Rosemary Clooney that she is like the head of the Northeastern Busybodies Anonymous Club or some shit like that. <laughs> I love her. I want to be her friend. I think we'd get along. I think you would get along with her. Fun no. fun fact about her, just before we move on from Mary Is this Wicks, the Tom Kane fact of the day? This is not the Tom Kane fact oh. of the week. Okay. However, this is a fact of the week. Uh, a fun fact of the week, mind you. Uh, the... Uh, uh, Mary Wicks was one of, I think, three models they used for Cruella DeVille in uh, 101 Dalmatians, the animated movie. So it, uh, she's like her, her face, her kind of her facial expressions, her body. That's what they used kind of as a reference for Cruella DeVille. I always appreciate the fact that I'm so glad she got such a great role in Sister Act like 40 years later. Because, like, I think a generation of people—that's what I first remember her in. Like, I saw Wait, her in Sister Act as the old. She's the um, she's the the original choir conductor that Whoopi Goldberg takes over for. She's kind of that crabby, kind of the the crabby old, not Maggie Smith, but the other crabby old nun. Oh she's like, God, I, I was it was that. hell on her. It was hell on earth. I loved it. This place is a Hilton. You know, she that's the same same Mary Wicks. 
So yeah, so <laughs> lo- and I and I love her in that. And so when I see White Christmas now, I'm like, oh, look at young Mary Wicks versus the nun Mary Wicks that I grew up watching on Sister Act. So well, she is fantastic, that and I love her. I completely agree. I love Mary Wicks. She's terrific. Um, Ryan, favorite scene. Oh, my favorite scene is is absolutely the end when they surprise the, the old man. Um, Thank you. That's also it, on my uh, list. It reminds me of my grandpa every time. Um, every time it comes on. So, same thing that popped for me as well as the ending. I loved it. Loved that one too. So the beginning and the end, both to me, really, really good. I got one more. Snow on the train when they sing snow. Kind of an i kind of a iconic. Good. It's a, first of all, it's a decent song. It's a decent song. There aren't a lot of decent songs in this show, really. Honestly, not a lot of songs you come out really humming. This is one of those in the middle of the film. Really like this one. I was going to say, I love the song Snow. I think it is, uh, obviously, aside from White Christmas, my favorite song in the in the whole movie. Right. Um, that scene is boring as hell. <laughs> Nothing happens. You're like, let's just get to the song. They like, Okay, so I went to go, like a couple of years ago, my family and I went to go see a like a like community theater production of it and during snow they had like a cute cutesy little dance and so i kind of forgot when we watched it again they just sit there in fairness they're on a train like what do you want them to do this is a movie musical do whatever you want a soft shoe on a chain this isn't the music man you can do whatever you want it is fake it is a musical in 1954 are you they saying were, they weren't really on a train when they shot this? I I hate I really hate to break that to you, but it's likely that they were not. I know I was shocked. Wow, wow, that changes a lot. I know this changes a lot of stuff. It's crazy. Yes, I no. do. I do like that that scene though. In general, I do like it. That's that's my problem with it because I really love the song Snow, and I just wish they did more with it. I could hear that. I could hear that. Any other scenes? I, you, you hate Danny Kaye, but I love him in this movie so much. And I don't hate him. I just think he's too much. I totally disagree. A little bit goes a long way with Danny Kaye, I find. I think he's the only one who knows what movie he's in. And I also think he's a fantastic dancer. And and so I love- He's a great any, dancer. Anytime he and Vera Ellen have like a dance, that big dance number they have at the beginning- which comes out of the blue, by the way. It's like, oh, we've met each other five minutes. We have got perfect dancing chemistry. Let's step outside and dance. Absolutely. You know what? I've decided older movies like this, older movie musicals like this are almost better when they make no sense. And um, <laughs> I, I, I love that dancing scene. It does come out of absolutely nowhere, but it just totally feels left like- field. It's like three minutes of just like them having an amazing time and they're so good at what they do. I, it's mesmerizing. I love it. Yeah, I'm baffled by it. You know, <laughs> they, they leave, they let Bing and Rosemary just hang out at the table like, yeah, we'll let you guys do your thing. We'll be back in five minutes. We're going to go do a little dance outside. Makes, uh, I just, I, I, I still don't understand that. I do like that the dance, it's not like, um, oh, there's a term for this and I can't remember what it is, like in universe versus in imagination songs songs and dances in a musical and this is when you realize that this is an actually in-universe dance this isn't like something that that happened in their minds because they finished dancing he's dipped vera ellen and rosemary clooney opens the door and is like are you gonna get the hell in here 
and he yeah. still like dipped. It's fabulous. I love it. It is good stuff. I'll give you that one. Okay. I, I, that's fine. That's good. That's good. Least favorite scenes. It's choreography. Choreography is the worst. Is the uh, this is if there was ever like even a movie that's pretty tight. It's a tight little two hour film. They hammer through the exposition better than any movie I've ever seen ever. They're like, let's cover everything from post war to right now. These guys became big hits, and here's how we'll show it through these newspaper clippings and blah 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 blah. The the pee break in the film is choreography. Like the <laughs> the the pee break, the dump break, whatever that is, it's choreography because it's the one where if it's on TV, I'm like. Yeah, and this is a good time to go see if the football game's back on. You know, this that song, that dance, the stupid outfits they wear. <laughs> it's the worst, like, five minutes of... It's like one of the five worst minutes of film I've ever watched in my life. It's terrible. <laughs> I I don't mind choreography, but it doesn't fit in this film. It doesn't fit. Oh, It's the green door and the yellow car. I do not know whose idea it was to do choreography. And again, it is not helping anybody's case to thinking that Danny Kay is a heterosexual man between <laughs> this, between choreography and his physical repulsion of Vera Ellen. It is not helping his case. And his just his, his, his supreme fascination with Bing with, uh, with Bob Wallace. Yes. I mean, yes. it is, I mean, it's, it's, I don't know if they wrote him that way or if that's a special sauce that Danny Kay added to the role, but like just sprinkled it right in there. Like a little bit of that <laughs> but like little dash choreography is just like <laughs> choreography is not a dash. Okay? No, that is not a dash. That is, uh, you need to bring this back to the kitchen. It is, uh, over salted over seasoned. I'm going to need a fresh, a fresh, whatever this is <laughs> something different, mi- please. I don't mind it. I don't hate it the way you do, but yeah, it doesn't make any sense in the movie. It makes no sense. And the only people who like it are like theater people like you, <laughs> like that's it. That's it. Those are the only people who like it. No, if you're in, I would bet you if you could rest rest my grandfather's soul on this but i bet you if we dug him up right now and we asked him if you could take back five minutes of your life what would it be he'd say ah oh, the five minutes of choreography and <laughs> no question no question about it it would be the five minutes of choreography my old man if i just were to say old man if you could take back one thing out of white christmas because it's one of his all-time faves Take out one thing, what would it be? Uh, Danny Kay wearing a stupid beret and singing choreography. And I'd be like, oh, there it is. It's universal. Nobody likes it. It is Except a, theater people. It is totally, it does not make sense in this film. One fucking bit. I don't even buy, not only is it not in that show at the end, I don't buy that it ever would be. Like, they, no. They've put together this, like, very wholesome program, like, pro-military, Christmas time, how adorable. And then yeah. just, like, this kind of... Can you picture the G- General Waverly just walking? You know, he's got his limp. You know, he's he's just... He's, he's a grizzled old war vet. And he's, like, on his, at his resort that he's hemorrhaging money on... <laughs> Do you think he's like watching oh these morons parade around up talking about choreography is what I want to see? <laughs> like in in the middle of some kind of like like <laughs> 40s USA war propaganda they just broke to do Pippin. That's what yeah. it's like. <laughs> it makes no sense. <laughs> 
Oh, for goodness sake. I mean, it's do, just. The- do you remember that scene in the producers where they sing, keep it gay? Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of what they're talking 100%. about. I think. Kick turn, 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 kick turn. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with it. It just doesn't fit. It doesn't fit at all. It's listen, it. It's a green door on a yellow car. I've been saying it a hundred times. The green door, the green door, when you drive by this yellow car and you see a green door on the passenger side, you're like, oh, that poor guy. He got uh, totally T-boned and they just had to throw whatever they could on there. Couldn't get a color that matched the shade of the vehicle. So this is what he's dealing with. That's what that is. hundred uh, percent. Any other least favorite scenes? Oh, I hate Sisters. I hate the song Sisters. With I don't em- like the reprisal. I don't like the the Bing Danny Kay reprisal of it five minutes later. I when, when I get every- the full. It's the only good version of it. It's the only good version of it. I hate every iteration of it. I hate the song. I hate the lyrics of the song. I hate the fact that there's it's two women singing, but there's no harmony. Why are you both singing? Okay, I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> Why do I need both of you there to sing this song? Anyways, um, it's a duet. It's just it's a, called it's a, sisters. a duet. Yeah, it's not called there's, sister. It could be. You're not. There's nothing interesting about it whatsoever. It's such an obnoxious song. On top of that, and they don't even do like the choreography for the song is just like they they uh, sway back and forth, and they have they got the little feather. they got the little feather thing. They got the feather thing. They barely do anything with it it's just like so they needed choreography they, they did and where was danny k 20 minutes earlier to give us that <laughs> and the fact that this is this is the performance this is the song that they're performing in front of in front of these you know big wigs to get their own show or to be involved in those guys's show or something and they're just bing crosby and danny k are just mesmerized by the two of them if i saw that perform if i was like some big time producer and i saw that performance i'd be like okay why am i here that it's so boring it's boring and it's obnoxious and i hate it and they sing it three times they do sing it it's and that's the problem it's like and that i get it once and i'm like all right i choke that down but then I'm like, I have to get not Bing and Danny singing it. I get them lip syncing it. Yes. Seven minutes later. Okay. Like, no, we get, it's a, ah, no, I don't want this again. So I did some research on this because I thought, God, why? And um, it turns out that Danny Kay and Bing Crosby were just like screwing around on set and doing that for themselves. And they just decided to film it because they thought it was funny. Which is why you can see Bing Crosby actively cracking up while they're doing it. It's like highly unprofessional. This is 100% Danny Kaye's idea. Yes. Of 100%. 100%. He walks in, you know, Bing, here's what I think we should do. I think we should go out there and do another cover of that song. What do you think of that? You and me together. Come on, buddy. Come on out there. I don't know, Danny. Blah, 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 blah. I don't know if that's something I want to do. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> you know, Danny, this is not going to help your time in the closet at all, my friend. Yeah. <laughs> You know, Danny, if I get caught, if I get seen in public with you outside of uh, work hours, people are going to assume some stuff. Blah, 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 blah. And look, I just want to reiterate, it's not like we have any issue with it. It's just no, so not painfully obvious. No, there's anything obvious. wrong with that. It's, so yes. it's just obvious. so painfully obvious that uh, that Danny Kay is 
in at least in this movie, I, mean, I know there's reports out there. That I know he was married. Was, he was long to long time married, but uh, we, you I know, mean, I've heard the rumors out there on him too. But that to his always, publicist, yeah, yeah. You saying there was like a beard working here? Like there was some sort of. Uh, all, all I'm saying is that old. How dare you? Anyway. In old Hollywood during this time, you could yes. not be openly gay, and so a Rock lot Hudson of, will tell you, like it was very, of, you know. Yes, a lot of actors who were obviously gay were married to members of the opposite sex, and that's we're not, also. I'm gay. just not going to say anything. Like. We don't know. It's it's. I'm not going to assume anything about his personal life. He was married to his publicist. I'm sure he's a delight, and he was probably a delight. Yes. And I could see him. You know what I think we should do? I think we should go dance around the stage. What do you think? You and I, buddy. Yeah, there's, there's no issue with that. It's just there. It was it was widely publicized post post mortem for him. Yes, that he hid parts of his life and and likely hid his sexuality. Uh, as, he wasn't as, hiding it in this movie very well. It was hiding well, in plain that's sight. That's kind of my point, right? <laughs> yeah, there was there was this there's this trend in old Hollywood where you know we're we're going to we're not going to acknowledge that that there are a lot of gays among us because it's theater in the 1940s. But everything yeah. everything is gay. Every, if everything is gay, nothing can be right. It's just normal. So it's it it is old Hollywood is the gayest thing I've ever seen. And and this movie is no exception. Choreography is the gayest thing I've ever seen. Yeah. Uh, and and I don't say that with any disparity. Not at all. None. I'm not. I'm not disparaging it. I'm just saying, I know. I know what what that stuff looks like because I've been in theater. You've been in theater. I have been we, in theater. We coach. We coach a lot of queer kids. I'm queer. However, it is the gayest thing I've ever seen. And there's so a you're lot saying the, the call is coming from inside the house on Danny on the Danny K thing is the, it would be that. Well, yeah, that's kind of what I'm saying. <laughs> well, and this is this is the thing. There's you know, we're firmly in the time period of um, the Hayes Code. Yes. And so even is it post is, is it post Hayes Code or are we still no, in Hayes Code? It's, it's toward the it's toward the end of Hayes yeah. Code. So so I think that so I'm wondering if this was. This was meant to be that way or if that's something that Danny Kay put on it because parts of it parts of the movie seem like he's supposed to have a real relationship with Vera Ellen that they are involved on the side they're just not the focal point couple and then part of it seems like their whole relationship is fake because he's like interested in her at the at the beginning of the movie during the dancing scene and then she is like, yes, let's pretend to be engaged. And he physically recoils from her. There's a party scene later where he's like, someone is like, oh, yes, kiss your fiance. And he like gives her a peck. And then it occurs to him, oh, I actually have to kiss her now. I'm like, why wouldn't you, if you're like dating, why wouldn't that be your impulse? And then at the very, and then they reveal that they're not in a real relationship. And at the very end of the movie, He's like, oh, yes, you're making out with Rosemary Clooney. I also have to make out with my gal. Come here, Vera. It it makes no sense. And so I, I'm struggling between if they meant him to be that way, if that is a queer-coded situation, or if that's just something Danny Kay added to it. Just for the record, 
for those of you scoring at home, not really familiar with the Hays Code, self-imposed industry guidelines that were set from 1934 to 1968. If you ever wonder why films, old films, don't have a lot of swearing, don't have any nudity or any kind of sex scenes or any sort of realistic violence, uh, the reason why is because of the Hays Code from 1934 to 1968, sort of a self-imposed rules of the road, if you will. Although there's a lot of stuff that you'd watch now and be like, How'd that get by the Hayes Code? That's 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 downright uh, dicey, but well, I think but it did like choreography, like choreography. <laughs> but I think that's where I mean that's where we get the term like queer coded. You know, it's it's something that is a little bit offensive now, but something that they had to use at the time because they couldn't explicitly say yes, this this character is gay. Um. I also want to add real quickly because of a note earlier, I had Gone with the Wind in our top whatever for domestic gross box office. It was, I think, a re-release because it was, I think, out in 1939 originally, but it was a re-release of that. So there you go. Yeah. But back to the Hayes Code. I also I also think that, oh God, I wish I had the research in front of me. I feel like they got fined if they did certain things. Um, so I they, think you're right. So it was self-imposed, but it was also like, you know we don't want to get fined just so that we can, you know, show a little fake blood or have a single swear word or whatever it is. So, yeah, it kind of, that's why it's so stunning when you hear a curse word late in the sixties, like, you know, Steve McQueen swears and bullet and you start to hear like, um, uh, you, the, I'm trying to, I can't even remember it now. The, uh, is that the Joan Collins or whatever? No, what's the, what's the Faye Dunaway movie? Is there, is there something there? Are you thinking? I don't even remember. Um, Oh my I don't god! Know. I, well, she says, "Yeah, yeah." I, I I see the ding. It's on. It now it's viral on TikTok. You see it all the time where she's swearing at him. But anyway, that's all. That's it's an interesting change. It's a big shift from there to there, and that's a big part of that. I think. Yeah. Any absolutely. other least favorite scenes? Um, we just so, spent an hour on choreography. Holy I cow! No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Any other least favorites? I, Snow. Snow is one of your least favorites. Yep. The scene. Oh, the song's okay. The song's okay. The scene is boring. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, eat your ice cream sandwich. I already did. It's gone. (laughs) I would just say, like, overall, I'm trying to, like, put into words what it is about this movie that I just don't like very much. It's just kind of boring. It just happens. One thing happens and then another thing happens and then it's it's it doesn't feel like anything is driving anything. It's kind of the it's it's a nostalgia piece, right? You feel like it's just a throwback to an era when all you needed to be really successful was like, hey, give me give me Bing Crosby and give me some music and we're gonna be we're gonna do some good stuff here. And that seems to be the, the the kind of the idea here. But this is where I come back to Singing in the Rain. Singing in the Rain is probably one of my favorite movies ever. And the reason that I think it endures and that it's such a good movie is that it's just, it's entertaining as hell. The plot is pretty flimsy. Right. Um, as a lot of these movies seem to be. A lot yeah. of the old movies, it's it, it, or at least the premise, they didn't require some great premise. They yes. kept it pretty simple back then. They're like, yeah, it'll just be a day, a day at the beach. And that's what we'll do. And we'll call it a day at the beach or whatever the <laughs> hell it is. It's a very simple... It, it's not meant to be complex. Maybe they didn't want movies to be complex is what I'm and thinking. There, and there's nothing wrong with that. But then it needs to, if 
you need to overcompensate with spectacle then. You know, that's what Singing in the Rain is. Singing in the Rain is, it's really funny. There are these big, beautiful numbers, both dance numbers and and just singing. And uh, the chemistry between the actors is amazing. The writing is good. The plot is so thin, but the plot doesn't matter. It's all the things around it. And I just Mm. feel like White Christmas doesn't make up for its like pretty flimsy plot by having any great amount of spectacle. They have these two insanely good dancers that they barely utilize throughout the entire movie. And um, Bing Crosby pretty much stands there and sings for at least five songs, which I you talk about wanting your life back. Uh, he doesn't know what to do with his hands half the time. No, oh my God. There's a quick cut when he's on the, I don't remember the fake person's name. Ed, the Ed, Ed Harrison. Yeah. It's the Ed Harrison show. There's Same idea. Quick, there's a quick cut where he is just standing with his arms at the side like he's Donald Trump, like he's never stood before. And then there's a quick cut where they obviously said, Bing, if you don't do something with your hands, I'm going to kick you off the set. And so he just folds his hands in front of his stomach. And stands there and sings for three minutes. That's all he had to do. The voice is what makes the money. The hands don't make any money. There are so many scenes like that. It drives me insane. And they're just just like a lot of missed opportunities to have more spectacle, more Christmas, more dancing, more anything. And there's just. I do think it needs more Christmas. I do agree with you on this. Like it's called White Christmas. And there's a big, and there's a nice blowout number at obviously white Christmas is the signature song and we get it at the beginning. I do think it needs more Christmas. Like it really does. And that middle needs more Christmas. Well, Uh, it, it needs something. Well, and like, there's nothing to the, so they get off the train and they're like, isn't Vermont supposed to be super snowy? And they're like, it's actually been pretty warm. And so there's not even any snow in the entire film. And that's not the conflict. The idea is the con- the snow come. Well, it is part of the conflict because I, the Vermont resort doesn't make any money, but because it's it's dying on the vine because there's no skiers. That just. But then it starts like, snowing when they sing White Christmas. That's the whole thing. Is it really starts to snow? Right. It just Isn't feels it like I I don't care. Like there could have been a, a trillion reasons why that particular inn wasn't making any money. Yeah, maybe General Waverly is not a good businessman. <laughs> he sucks <laughs> Who at could it. Say? Maybe he I, sucks at it. I just there just could have been a million reasons why why it wasn't working, and it feels like in a movie with so little Christmas, you could at least have snow. I, it's just, fair. It's I don't know. It's like the beginning is nice. I like the beginning, and then I like the end. And I could do without everything in between. I, it's it, it's a little more patchwork in the middle. The beginning yeah. and the end are home runs. They're crowd pleasers. And yeah. then it's a lot of like, a lot of Punch and Judy stuff in the middle. A lot of bunting guys over, a lot of little C&I singles here and there, but not not a lot of home runs in the middle. I, I would agree with that. Yeah. All right. Time to get to the award segment. Um, let's first do the Adam Thielen Award for most surprising performance. Uh, who is the most surprising performance? I got one. It's a, it was a lock for me. It was a lock. What's yours? I'm going to go with General Waverly, Dean Jagger. Like, I felt like he's in two scenes and he steals both of them. Like, he's the best thing in the in the two scenes he's in. It's him. Or, I mean, he's in more because obviously they go to his resort. But, like, the beginning and the end, 
how he conveys the the kind of tough guy persona, the tough guy image who's struggling to kind of keep his emotions in him is like, that is like every man from like 1935 to 1974. Like, I swear to God, he encompasses all of that. And uh, I think he's, I think he's great. Love the old man and I'll follow him wherever he wants to go. Yeah, he's got, he's one of the few people in the movie who I feel like there's like something behind the eyes there. There's like, there's like a way of acting in these old Hollywood movies where it's, everything is just on the surface and that's how everybody acted. And there are like a handful of actors where you can see there's something behind the eyes there. And I feel like that's him. I think he does a pretty good job at like, without ex- explicitly expressing his disappointment for this in, you know, and, and, oh my God, the scene where he discovers that they think it's a joke, him asking to go back into the military. Yeah. Oh, that's my, tough. That's a hard scene. To yeah. Watch. He's yeah. And that's, that's because of his performance. Yeah. He's really good. So he's the guy that comes like upon the recent watch. I was like, yeah, he's kind of the man. Like he's awesome in this movie. That guy's really, really good. I would watch that guy a lot. If if he was in more stuff in this movie, I'd be all about it. Uh, you, Ryan, the Adam Thielen Award. Uh, my Adam Thielen Award goes to Vera Ellen. Uh, I think that she she's, I think for my money, the best performer overall in this movie, her dancing is second to none. Oh, you're going to hate she, me when I get to the Marty McFly she's, Award. She's, she's really good. I, I think that obviously you don't, they don't use her voice for the, for the singing, but I mean, just as a dancer, I could watch her just, if this was, if this was two hours of her dancing, I could watch it. Yeah, I agree. What about your Adam Thielen? Um, I kind of want to go with Vera Ellen as well, but I have to go with, uh, the receptionist whose name I already forgot. Mary Wicks. Yeah. I, (laughs) she is just, she's like actually funny. She's so, she's very good. She's in just a couple of scenes and I love every scene that she has. She's in, she kills it. She legitimately has four laugh lines in sister act that I still laugh out loud in. Like every time she delivers, like she is like legitimately good at delivering punchlines. One of the, one of the all time great comedic actresses who can deliver a punchline. Well, and even the physical comedy bit she has where she, uh, she gets good news. And so she kisses Danny Kaye. And then Bing Crosby makes a joke about, about like, you know, aren't you going to kiss me? And you kind of expect her not to. And she's like, okay. And she just kisses <laughs> Bing Crosby. She's so, she's so funny in every scene. I love her so much. I could, <laughs> I wish the movie was about her. <laughs> we'll work on that. It, next, that should have been White Christmas too. The story of Mary Wicks and General Waverly. That, that's as they continue on. That would be our next, when we get to the Breakfast Club Award, we'll have to talk about that. Uh, the Marty McFly Award for much needed recast. <laughs> You're not gonna <laughs> Don't say Bing Crosby. Who are you gonna replace him with? That's Anybody. Bing F and Crosby. No, that's <laughs> Bing F Crosby. I will not let you do that. Bing Crosby. I can't. Look, I'm not versed enough in actors of that time to like figure out who I would replace him with. But I mean, there've got to be a trillion. It's other too wholesome for Sinatra, so it can't be him. It, it Brando, could. even though he does Guys and Dolls the next year with Sinatra, Brando's not a singer. Like, so he's not strong enough to do that. This this whole idea that he has to be like this suave crooner guy, he doesn't. That's well, just who are you going to get? Crosby. 
anybody. But he's got to sing. Nobody's got to sing. He's got to. Well, it's mean, a musical. Oh, come on. Every actor. Look at Jimmy Stewart. Yeah, every actor. You, you think Jimmy Stewart is going to stand there and sing White Christmas? You think he's going to stand there with this voice? Yeah, God, well, I've been dreaming. I'll go. No, that's not going to do that. Most most actors at this time had to have a couple of skills. A lot yes. of actors at this time, couple could tools sing, in the toolbox, could dance, whatever. So I I'm not going to say anyone specific because again, I'm not first enough in actors from this time period. But I I have a hard time believing you couldn't get a hundred other dudes to do this. The only reason we think that this part requires some kind of like suave old crooner type is because it's Bing Crosby. It is not written that way. That's just him. He just does that. He's not acting. He just exists on film. It's like when, when Adam Sandler does a movie. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody could do the Adam Sandler part, but Adam Sandler made the movie and paid for the movie, so it's going to be an Adam Sandler part. Uh, you know, he gets the he gets the hottest girl. You know what I mean? Like it's that, that's, that's the Adam that's, Sandler movie. That's that's yeah. very that's, fair. I that's can't Bing argue Crosby with anything you're in, in White Christmas. Bing Crosby paid for this movie with Irving Berlin. He split the profits, so Bing Crosby's in the movie. But it's not a Bing Crosby part per se. No. No. Anybody else could have done this. And right. he's also he's also my Marty McFly. I would I would recast Bing Crosby. I'm recasting Vera Ellen, and here's why. Uh, first of all, sorry if they're not using your voice, give me somebody whose voice we're going to use. There are a lot of women who can sing out there. Give me one of them. Like uh, same your same reason. Judy Garland. Hey, the same reason why you want Bing out of there. Same reason I want you. There's got to be somebody back there who can sing. Bring me somebody who can sing and dance. I don't want to use somebody else's voice. I understand that she was her voice was kind of. Because her story is really tragic. Like the Vera Ellen story, she battled eating disorders. She had all kinds of issues, uh, you know, health issues, mental health issues, all of that stuff. And I think that is playing a role for a lot of this stuff for her in this film. Like, but still, I got to get somebody else. And I don't know if there's chemistry there with Rosemary Clooney. And I don't want to change Rosemary Clooney because I like Rosemary Clooney. So I I feel like I got to change some, I got to change her route so I can get more chemistry with Rosemary Clooney. I think the problem I have with her and Rosemary Clooney is that Vera Ellen is a little bit older than her, and you can tell. The fact that they cast her to be the younger sister, like, it's not that important that she's younger. You know, they kind of make it like it's important because they're like, oh, oh, she's looked after me all my life. And so, you know. That's literally like saying I'm Ryan's younger brother. Yeah. Like, if we (laughs) meet. They, they like kind of try to get away with it, but it's like really not important that she's younger. And so it makes no sense to me that they would have cast, they would have been like, Vera Ellen, you're 33 and you look 33. Do you want to play the younger sister of this visibly mid twenties woman? Why? I that That's, I think, where the chemistry is off. I think if Vera Ellen had played the older sister, I think it would be. And that's a conversation like that. I think that's a definite worthwhile conversation. There's there's definitely an opportunity there that maybe they could have swapped roles and we could have done something different there. Um, but then maybe Rosemary Clooney would have stood up and said, hang on a minute. If I'm going to be in this big movie, I ain't going to be with Danny Kay. Right. I'm I'm over here with this like, character and I'm going to end up with Bing Crosby. But that's, that's what it. I'm saying. Like you can still like that part. Vera Ellen's part can still be that part. It's not you might that be right. 
it's not that important that she's the younger or the older sister. Yeah, um, they make a big deal out of it because they make this idea that Rosemary Clooney's got to look after her, that that's her role as the, you know, whatever. And it's like, I mean, you are visibly like six years younger. So I, I yeah. forget, I'll suspend disbelief here, but, uh, but. There's also like, because the only reason that they care about that is is when Vera Ellen goes to Janet Kay and is like, you know, maybe if we get engaged, then she'll stop worrying about me. But they almost right. immediately tell them that it's fake. So like that entire plot could be completely cut out of the film and it would make it, it would be the same movie. That's probably so true. So like it doesn't matter that she is the youngest. She should have just played the older sibling and then I feel like their chemistry would make more sense. We can listen to that. So that's interesting. We got a couple of bings. And we got a Vera Ellen. We're, we're all over the map here for this for these awards. We can't agree on anything. How about this? The Breakfast Club Award for what happens on Monday morning. Oh, okay. So I wrote that Rosemary Clooney probably marries Bing Crosby as is tradition. And then Vera Ellen happily becomes Danny Kaye's beard. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's all I can think. And that's all I can think of what would happen on Monday. <laughs> Kieran can't handle it. That's why he's got to go cry in the background. He's just, <laughs> he's like, what? Are you crazy? I wrote that there's no way Bing at 51. If Bing hasn't settled now, he ain't settling. <laughs> so he's going to, he's going to do the old, uh, he's going to you know, it's been, it's been real. Be it's been fun, but it hasn't been real fun. And, uh, you know, you've been a pain in the ass to me for the last week here as we've been putting this show together, <laughs> been playing hard to get. I'm getting back out on the road. I'm producing my show and I'm going to have whatever 20 year old dancer I want. So that'll be the end of that. Oh my God. This so I think it's a lot of torrid affairs for Bing Crosby in the next 10 years. <laughs> this movie also had, that reminds me, this movie also has a, a plot problem that I hate it. Anytime I see it, the plot problem of if I just communicated like an adult human person would communicate, this movie would be over. If, if Rosemary Clooney came to Bing Crosby and actively confronted him about what she thought was true, then he would have been like, oh, I didn't do that. And she would have been like, okay, I'll see you Monday. Movie over. I, I, ha I hate that so much. The movie would have been 30 minutes shorter without that miscommunication. Anyways. That brings me to a, it's, I don't know if it's a new category, but it is a question that I, I do want to pose when we do these older, older movies. Can you redo this movie right now? Oh, Ryan and I were talking about that because that's I have a recast for a modern version because, again, I. Ooh, I, that's got to be a category we do in the past in the future. We got to do a recast category. Yeah. I love that because I, I not just Marty McFly. We need to do the whole damn movie. Yeah, because I can't think of, you know, I, I have like a handful of actors that I'm a, aware of at that time. And I feel like that's not enough. And um, so I have like a recast for a modern version and I'm not dead set on it, but these were the people I was thinking of. I don't know if they'd have chemistry with each other, but I'm going to say it anyways. So if you're Bing Crosby, I would think Zachary Levi. He mm. still has, he still has that gravitas and he's legit. He's like act actually funny and actually suave i'm thinking very zachary levi in like marvelous mrs mazel mm. if you've seen him because that's that. the thing he has to kind of sing here because that's why i was like you can't just grab george clooney zachary and put george clooney in the bing role right zachary levi 
is a good singer. He's a great singer. He is a literally a Disney prince, I believe. Um, I think I and I think he has the range, you know, not that Bing Crosby has like a huge range, but he has that very, very deep, well-known yes. tone. Correct. And I think that Zachary Levi could do that. Um, in my brain, the Danny Kay character is supposed to be young. He is. I'm sure that's he what I would think. Supposed to be young in this film. Don't you feel like Zac Efron? Like this is a Zac Efron. This is a hair, like a Harry Styles character. You know, <laughs> you got to go get oh a. My God. You got to yeah. go get a singer. You got to go get a singer who can do these things. Yes. Who can dance and sing? But so my thought was Tom Holland for Danny Kaye. Okay. Tom Holland is in his oh, like. Good. Mid- we can get Zendaya then too. That oh, that this was my would be exact great. thought. Honestly, let's that, go. Honestly, that's my exact thought because he has amazing chemistry with with Zendaya. Obviously, they're dating, but they've acted together. He has incredible chemistry with her. She's also an amazing singer and an amazing dancer. And I think the two of them together, it would be really, really fun. Can I get Rihanna to play Rosemary Clooney's character and Zendaya to play the other younger, a truly younger Hane <laughs> sister? Then we can really have some chemistry here. Because I would, I'm, I'm on the record that I'm going to watch anything Rihanna's in. I've I've already made the I've I've made a very bold claim about that. A bold and I want single name ladies to play the role of the Hane sisters. Just single name. That's all I want. Rihanna I had, and Zendaya. So I had for Rosemary Clooney, I had Ariana Debose. See, okay, maybe I, I, you're going way younger. You're going way out of the demographic for me. Well, I'm not trying to do what they did in this film, which is hire a bunch of 50 year olds to play 20 year olds. <laughs> That's fair. I'm trying to hire people <laughs> somewhat within the, so Tom Holland and Dea are around the same age. They are supposed to be the younger people. Zachary Levi is, uh, I think in his forties, Ariana DeBose is my age. Maybe I'm not quite sure. She's not Zachary okay. Levi's age, but she's older than Zendaya, I think. I can listen to this. And I, and I, she, I, she's a fantastic singer and uh, actress and dancer. She's like actually from theater. She's the best thing in the new West Side Story. Yeah. Modern. I, I like this modern recast idea. We should really talk about this. But do we think the movie could be redone, though? Because there's train rides. There's it feels like there's stuff that's lost in communication. There's obviously no cell phones. Uh, yeah, you know how, and how much of this is beaten by just like being just, he doesn't have to sneak his way onto a TV show. Like all he's got to do is go viral with an Instagram or a TikTok message to everybody. Like, and I think- it, it doesn't seem that outlandish now. Like, but now it feels, it does feel like it's in this time capsule. We can't take it out of it. Yeah. I think it would be hard to make like a, like a legitimately modern version of it. If you redid it, you would have to do it in this time period. Because I don't think, I think you're right. And then it would feel like you're trying too hard to relate to the young people or something. You're like, oh, oh, Bing Crosby's gone viral. So now he's on Jimmy Kimmel or whatever the fuck. Like, yeah. And can we I get that? Think, Go ahead. I was just going to say, I do think that uh, if you're going to remake this, remake Holiday Inn. Don't remake White Christmas. Yes. Minus the minstrel show. Right, minus, obviously, yeah. right. I mean, it's hard holiday minus. in, holiday in as you're going to see it, right? Like where because yep. you're they've cut the minstrel show from most most postings of this movie. So, right. I mean, go with something that most people would know, but you know, I just think that the story is stronger. I agree. I think the story. So I had to. I looked it back up because I haven't seen Holiday Inn in a long time now. But um, 
the story of Holiday Inn is is I think more simple. It's it's two guys fighting over a girl. That's basically it. And True. I think I think it's a little stronger. Like that's the plot, and so that's what the movie's about. And so it's a little more cohesive. There are less like weird vignettes that you could completely erase from the movie, and it would be the same film. Um, as- aside from the minstrel show, obviously. <laughs> But like that's it's it's a pretty solid plot. I think you could easily do that now. Yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe that's the approach we that's the approach we take on that one. Yeah. Uh finally, who wins the movie? Who's the winner? You're gonna disagree with me. Danny K. Danny K wins the movie in your eyes. Okay. Yes. Okay. I, I think he he is legitimately the only one who is a triple threat in the film, you know? Rosemary Clooney is a beautiful, beautiful actress and an amazing singer, but not that great of a dancer. Bing Crosby is there. Um, Vera Ellen, as we've discussed, can't sing, but she's an insanely good dancer and she's a pretty decent actress. I think Danny Kaye can do all three. And I think he adds like a special sauce to this. He's actually, actually funny. And we discussed this at one point the role would have gone to Donald O'Connor and you can really see the influences that he brings to, to that part in that way. I think he's fantastic. I love it. I love him in this. Ryan, who wins the movie? I I think for me, it's, it's, uh, I like Danny Kay a lot, but for me, it's, it's, uh, um, I'm trying to remember his first name, Jagger, the old man. Oh, Dean Jagger. Jagger. I think he wins. General Waverly wins the movie. Yep. Uh, for me, he's, he's the perfect combination of nostalgic gentleman, small time business owner who just kind of hits from a different era. And, uh, you know, just, he just seems like the kind of guy that you want to cheer for. He's the, tra- he's the American values guy, traditional yeah. American values guy, everything 100%. you like. About- and, that's, and that's usually not a winner for me, but in this sort of snapshot into post-war America for me he's very much like I see a lot of a lot of old men that I knew a long time ago in General Waverly 100% 100% on that one completely agree I got a couple winners uh, first of all it's a big win for movies in color um, every, every movie's got to be made in color after this one right because it's so technically stunning and it's you know you get to see the bright blue eyes of Rosemary Clooney and, uh, and you ben get Crosby. the and Bing Crosby, right? And it just, it, it does like, I mean, you stop in your tracks when you look at that stuff. And I can't imagine if you're a movie studio, you're like, yeah, we can keep making black and white films after that. It's like, no, no, you can't. You cannot. You cannot do that. No, no. That's the standard now. Like, not that Wizard of Oz wasn't the standard before, but Wizard of Oz was like, like in a world of its own. You get a little Gone with the Wind action too. But like world of its own type stuff, it was very rare when you would get that. I feel like, this was like no, uh, all of our holiday movies and any of our movies like this need to be in color going forward. Well, and Everything. even just even just the usage of red, you know, yes, it's, it's uh, pretty well known that like even in black and white, if a character was wearing red, they were actually wearing like blue or something um, because red didn't really show up in black and white. And to see them all at the end of the movie, that like the image for the film of them all in those red suits. Is it's a beautiful scene. It's beautifully costumed. I agree. There's there's no way you could have watched this movie and been like, 
yeah, we're just going to go back. Yeah, I, I feel like that's it. So I'm going movies in color, especially holiday bright movies, musicals. You can't do a musical not in color anymore. Like that's a rule, right? Yeah. Or, or something like that. I, all, I Bing wins because Bing gets a financial windfall. And I also think this is like, like I said, this is Last Stand. This was like the last great Bing Crosby movie. Um, obviously, he does a few more after that. I mean, you know, Bing Crosby goes from, you know, biggest actor in Hollywood. He's gone 23 years later. Like, it's that's not, that's not a lot of time, really, mm-hmm. uh, to go from, you know, guy in your leading man in a film to, and, and he's basically 1962 rolls around. He does like one more film and he's out. He does like Robin in the seven hoods in 1964 with Frank Sinatra and Dean Martin. And he's out. Like he doesn't do anything for basically the remainder of his life. Couple specials does the, does the roast. He does some TV stuff, does some singing here and there, but leading man stuff. This is it. Last stand and a big financial windfall for him, obviously on this one. So I'm giving I'm giving Bing the win on this one as well, and a win for Christmas. Christmas wins this movie too, <laughs> because it it becomes part of the canon. You know, when you make a movie that becomes part of the canon, think about the last Christmas movie that we would say is in the canon. Elf. Oh, I would say I would say the most recent one is Elf. Yeah, Elf, but that's still going on. Polar how Express. long now? You think Polar Express is in the canon? No, no it's not. Polar Express is creepy. Yeah, and Kieran belongs, and I agree. Polar Express is not in the canon. Polar Express belongs in the uncanny valley. Movie's creepy as hell. <laughs> but Elf is what two thousand four? Yeah, yeah, probably like that. So that's seven. That's that's seventeen, eighteen years since the last movie entered the canon conversation, right? So yeah. there's been a lot of Christmas movies out since then too that have not found their way in. And so they- yeah. They make like a million Christmas movies a year and it just, it's hard to tell what's going to stick and what's not going to stick. And it's also because half of them are Hallmark movies. I know. Yeah. And great American family movies with Candace Cameron Bure. I'm sure she's going to make another 200 of those next year and that'll be terrific. And yeah, there's a lot of them. There are thousands of Christmas movies and most of them are the same in the sense that they're sappy, sugary, they go down smooth. They're done in two hours. But it's it's the nothing ones, special. It's the ones that do something more interesting and and much much more fresh that actually linger on. That's why Elf does. There's nothing else out there like Elf. Yeah, it's- Elf, uh, the Santa Claus too. That first Santa Claus, I agree with you. Like, right? That that that's unique. It's different. Tim Allen was huge at the time. It's so it made sense. Home Alone. And I wouldn't say that White Christmas is fresh because as we've discussed, it's basically Holiday Inn, but it is in color, which makes it feel fresh. It's, it's, I would wager it's why it's endured more than Holiday Inn. Yeah. If this was in black and white, I don't think it's, it holds up. Right. Cause I mean, you don't, nobody's nobody like people, I mean, they'll play Miracle on 34th street and they'll play It's a Wonderful Life and they'll make a thing out of that. But there's a reason why they've remade Miracle on 34th Street, you know, yeah. and it's because nobody wants to watch the black and white movie. Like nobody does. No yeah. kids do anyway. And no one, no one watches Holiday Inn, despite the fact that it's more Christmassy than White Christmas. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. It's, it's the color. It's the color and it's, you know, that's it. That's really it. I think you're right. I think you're 100% I think it also, right. it also speaks to an era of, of like very like Coca-Cola like Christmas nostalgia. Totally. 
totally. that black and white movies just don't. Yeah. Right. That, you know, it's, it's, you think about the 1950s and the reason that we're watching these movies is because our grandparents watched these movies when they were kids, at least if you're, if you're Lauren of my age, you know, I don't know if Tim, that's the case for you. So I didn't want to speak for you, but it was uh, it's parents, grandparents. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like it's, I watched, I watched white Christmas because my grandfather watched white Christmas and he was a, like a huge, you know, Christmas guy. And, and my mom loves white Christmas because it was a, a Christmas thing. And we all watched Christmas vacation together because it was a family tradition. Like the reason we do these things at Christmas time is because it's, it's, it's tradition. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's one of those things where in black and white, yeah. Is there a generation that remembers those movies? Not really anymore. Right. right. Mir- Miracle on 34th street came out in 1934. My great grandma was born in 1918 and, and that would have been a movie that she would have seen, but we never watched Miracle on 34th street. Why? Because we were watching white Christmas That's and, fair. and it's just my great grandparents were into that sort of thing. Not so much my grandparents or my parents. Well, and that feels like in that way, the that's an interesting conversation about what endures and what doesn't, because I know that white Christmas is so in the canon for a lot of people our age for that exact reason that they're showing it to their kids. So what, when is that going to die out and is that going to die out? You know, I also think that it's, it opens up a larger conversation about our generation specifically and how nostalgia is marketed to us. Yeah. Uh, and, and wanting the life that our grandparents had or that our parents had is so ingrained in us, uh, as far as like, you know, even beyond like the, the socioeconomic stuff, but like you know, just wanting to work one job and come home to a loving family and, uh, you know, kind of build this picket fence life that, you know, we don't want the world. We just want to live without going hungry. Yeah. Right. And it, it feels like there's a lot of us who, you know, I, I worked, obviously it's, it's by my own free will, but I worked close to 80 hours last week and, you know, it, it was, it was a, a grind and I, I hated every second of it. And, you know, I don't want to do that. Right. My grandpa worked 40 hours. He made enough to, uh, you know, to, to own a home and, and raise a family with two kids and send them to public school and pay for everything they needed to pay for. And, you know, still retire, you know, with enough years to enjoy his life. And that's a life that we're not going to get. So we talk about, you know, the hope of Christmas time and what comes with movies like these, mm-hmm. you know, that a lot of that nostalgia comes, I think from that place of, of just wanting, uh, just wanting something simple that we can kind of reach back into the past and say, yeah, yeah, that sounds good. I also think it's interesting, like you said, like because nostalgia is so ingrained in our particular generation. Also, the hardness of being a millennial specifically. And so like I feel like a lot of people our age, you'll ask what are what are some of their favorite Christmas movies and they will say White Christmas and they will also say Christmas Vacation. White Christmas is about, you know, the simplicity and the beauty of Christmas time and coming together and love and fun and da 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 And Christmas Vacation is about the reality of Christmas, especially as we all get older and we all start, you know, getting to a place where we're having our own family Christmases and how unbelievably stressful Christmas time can actually realistically well, be. And even in that movie, right, there's that whole scene where he finds the old family videos. 
and he's nostalgic for his Christmas, which would have been the era, right? At that time, it would have been the era of, of white Christmas. Uh, and, and it's, we're all kind of longing for that time when family was around, right? Where, you know, that's Christmas, right? And it it comes down to that. So. And I think about this too. I I think there was a, I, I I always preach about, we got to get back to basics a little bit uh, as sort of a culture and as a country and as a, you know, just a people, because I think, you know, regardless of politics and regardless of, whatever, I think there were like a handful of things that we just could all universally agree on. And those were the things that we could just sort of rally around. Like, I feel like people who were Republicans, Democrats, whatever, could watch White Christmas and go like, yeah, it's a good film. You know, I can watch Bing Crosby. I'm good. I can be a Bing Crosby fan. And now I feel like it's hard to make a universally liked and respected and appreciated movie because I feel like the there's everybody's looking for an angle in every movie they watch now, uh, they're like, well, you know, you got the right to, if there's anything that even remotely questions, um, whether it's sexuality or race or culture or anything like that in a film, they're like, Oh, you're being pre you're preaching to me now. You can't do that. I don't want to watch it now. And if you don't address that, if you don't have that in your movie, you have a sector of a section of the population. That's like, well, you're, you're leaving me out. You're, you're not telling the story of me. You're not telling my identity. You're not speaking to me. And that, and what, what that leaves is this really disconnected, disjointed group of folks. And we can't make a movie that anybody wants to watch. You know, that's why people watch Hallmark movies. And that's, that really more speaks to, to how people view films now than they ever have before. And not, that and that's why I wonder if we won't have a Canon movie in a long, long time. Yeah. I don't know if we're going to get one in and a long time. The reason I think we have elf is because it is both something very, very fresh and also just an homage to Christmas movies as a whole. And I mean, the entirety of the North pole is obviously mirrored after those claymation movies, Rudolph and, and, um, I can't remember any of them right now. Well, they have all the nostalgic pieces, <laughs> right? You have old actors playing in key parts, right? Whether it's yeah. James Conn or Bob Newhart or whatever it was, Mary Steenburgen. And then you get this hot actor, Will Ferrell, who just at this moment, everything he touches seems to work. There's Same a, here as Talladega Nights. Yep. There's a kid, there's a kid-like innocence to him that you yeah. just appreciate that works. And it's that's the perfect storm. And I don't know if... I mean, yeah, we'll get a perfect storm like that again, but when and what will it be rallied around? That's going to be the question. I think it's going to be interesting to see what it is, because I think that Christmas movies are held to a a little bit of a different standard. You know, what we want out of Christmas is um, is nostalgia, is like wonderment and magic and love. And when you grow up and you're (laughs) when you grow up, uh, you know, Christmas doesn't always feel like that. And so how do you kind of balance the cynicism with being an adult at Christmas time with also the nostalgia of remembering what it was like to be a kid or trying to make it magical for the kids in your life or whatever? I think that's a really hard balance to strike especially now. I think that's right. what's going, that's what's keeping us from having another Christmas movie in the canon. I also think that, you know, and, and Lauren and I have talked about this a lot this, this season, especially there's a lot, a growing number of people, both our age and in the generations, um, are, you know, near us, um, that just don't 
have the reverence for Christmas, right? Where it's, it's not, it's just not something that we do much anymore. Santa, the Santa thing is not something that we're really into the, uh, you know, the, the, the gift giving is more of a, let's just spend time together and, you know, let's just gather and, and enjoy each other's presence. And it's, you know, there's, then you've got the whole religious side of it where some people it's, it's, it's all about the religious side of it. It's not about the, you know, the, the getting together tradition side of it at all anymore. There's a lot of that kind of stuff. And I think that if we overlook that, you know, we're going to, that that's, I think another place where this, this idea of not having a, a, a Canon movie for a long time, that's going to come in here too. I think you're right. Uh, I want to see how that plays itself out. Uh, I'm, I'm fascinated by it because like, I, I think there is a place for these movies. Like there is a place for a wholesome Christmas movie at the box office, not just and not just on freaking Hallmark and not just on great American family with Candace Cameron Bure. I don't <laughs> yeah. need Lacey Chabert in it for it to be good. You know what I mean? Or for it to be yeah. a Christmas movie, we can get big time actors in it, but I think it starts with, we got to get, we got to get enough people out there to just, you know, be like, well, who cares if George Clooney's a liberal? He's also a great actor and I want to see him in a movie. Like it, 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 we gotta, we gotta stop all that stuff. Like we, in, to us, for us to really appreciate a film. Well, I, I think that we have to get to a place again where we can separate the 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 artist from the art. Yep. And I, and I think that there's a lot of, and, and this kind of does go for both sides. And obviously, let's be honest, there's one side of this conversation that's way more egregious than the other. Yeah. Where you have you have artists who it's really hard to separate what they did because what they 100%. did was so horrible. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and and there's one side of this conversation that demands that we forget that stuff. But if you can't, if you're making those demands and you also can't forget that you know George Clooney is a liberal, but he's a really good actor, then I'm sorry, it's it's a conversation that's never going to get resolved because you're asking people who are are advocating for victims of certain things to say you know, we want to, we want to separate the, the act from the actor, the, the, the art from the artist. But at the same time, you're saying, well, I don't want to separate the art from the artist because I don't like this artist. And it's, it becomes this sort of backhanded thing where both sides are saying like, you know, I, I can't forget that, that Tim Allen is, is kind of a pile of garbage as far as his opinions in politics. Like, you know, yeah, he advocates for some terrible things, but the Santa Clauses are really good. Now, part of that's because the new Santa Claus movie uh, you know, leans into his politics a lot and that makes it fucking unwatchable. Yeah. But it's Tim Allen it, also has done Buzz Lightyear and you'll go see Toy Story. You're damn right I will, because I can separate that that part of yeah. his art from his act because he's not folding it in. Buzz Buzz Lightyear's not going out there and talking about fucking cancel culture. And he's openly um, but I mean and, and Tim Allen in his defense, like he's good friends with Tom Hanks. Like they get along apparently. Like they've been on the talk show or at least they fake it well. I mean and those guys couldn't be more more apart philosophically. But I, I think that there's there's a, a pretty big gap here. You know, like Tim Allen is just somebody I don't like as a person. He's not out there openly advocating for like the You're gonna you're gonna anger my father with this. You're gonna my father thinks Tim Allen is in the Mount Rushmore of actors. Oh good God. Okay. Mount uh, Rushmore of actors. Why? And he will he's mad that I have not put Christmas with the cranks in the canon. That movie is or bad. I've never even seen that movie. You don't I, need to see it. You don't. Don't. Um, or all the episodes of Home Improvement. All the Christmas episodes <laughs> of Home Improvement belong in the canon. But I think there there's a huge difference here, right? There's a difference between I just don't like that person. And I think they're kind of a wang versus, and uh, you know, Woody Allen versus Louis I C. like K. Woody Allen. 
I know you yeah. do, but like, I like Louis CK, I don't want to contribute. There is something to like, not just separating art from the artist, but like, I also don't want to contribute to their ongoing mountain profit of money, their money. Yeah. That's which true allows too. them to behave this way. So and we have got this weird, weird spot, right? Maybe that's just it. Maybe that's what the Hayes code and 1950s Hollywood simply just did a better job of keeping that stuff under wraps so that we could just, well, watch, was, we could watch the movie. There was kind of a kayfabe to this thing, right? There where- was kind of a kayfabe. You're right. You know, you know the the character is the character, and everybody kind of played the same person in every movie. And if you knew if you knew what a Jimmy Stewart movie was every time you went to go see a Jimmy Stewart movie, you knew what a James Dean movie was every time you went to go see a James Dean movie. Now I'm not advocating for that, but like no. George Clooney's a chameleon, and Gary Oldman's a chameleon, and these guys who have actually like very strong opinions are chameleons, and they do a million different things. You don't always know what you're going to get. And maybe- Tim Allen's not exactly a, chame- uh, a chameleon, but you know Tim Allen's He's- Tim Allen. He's a one-trick pony, but it's a hell of a trick. It's worked well. I just think that the world is more complicated now than it was. And I think you might be that, right. I think that for better or worse, I'm glad that it is. But what that means is that it's gonna be a while before we get, you know, a wholesome Christmas movie that is you- that feels fresh and feels new and feels like widely widely. Where you loved. could get where you can get seventy five percent of the adult population to like something. Yeah. Like that's really where the challenge lies, right? Because yeah. right now, something that everybody likes is like 49%. Like, oh, that's, well, you hit 49% of the public. Congratulations. That must be a big hit. Well, and even if you do, oh my God, this is, maybe Twitter should die because this is what film Twitter is. Even if it is wildly beloved and by critics and people alike, in six months, everyone will hate it because they can't stop hearing about it. That's kind of the Avatar effect, right? Now, Avatar might not be great, but like Avatar was the cat's ass for a whole year. I would argue. And now it's persona non grata, of course. But I would argue that my problem with Avatar is that um, it was such a beautiful spectacle of a film that nobody noticed. It was just kind of a meh movie in, in and of itself. I don't know if the second one is like that. I have absolutely no interest in seeing it. I personally think James Cameron is annoying just annoying. And so I have, <laughs> I, maybe he's a great guy. I don't give a shit. He's just annoying to me. Um, so I have no interest, but there love are, actually is love actually in the canon. Should we, I, somebody, I fucking hate that, movie. <laughs> I hate that movie. I don't think that, see that movie was made what? Oh, two, Oh three, Oh four, Oh five. And it does. That's a movie that doesn't hold. God, I hate it. And it's a movie that I thought was great when I first saw it, but then you start watching it and you're like, boy, Alan Rickman's a bad dude. Boy, Hugh Grant's a bad dude. They're all Boy, there's some. Shit. They're all pieces of shit. They're all shitheads. I root for none of them. Who's Andrew Lincoln is scary. Uh, that's creepy. scary behavior. Creepy. Yeah. Okay. Who's the one who's? Is it Hugh Grant who has a relationship with a girl who is a size eight? And they and how, they all they do is talk about how, how chubby she is. How yeah. dare she be not anorexic how how yeah. absolute dare she worst, it's one of the worst movies it's now it's a movie that you're watching you go ee. i would have thought that would have been the wholesome canon movie but it doesn't hold it's not a canon movie you can't put it there and yet I our, ro- our roommate like 10 years ago in duluth forced us to watch that movie like six no. times over the course of the christmas holiday i've not i had never seen it before and she was like this is my favorite movie of all time and she made and me i love watch hugh grant it, and i was like this is ass you like this is the same year that her cat destroyed our Christmas tree. And I'm like, you just hate Christmas. Like you, like there's, you are a crime against Christmas. Like you yourself <laughs> are just uh, a, a, a Christmas catastrophe. 
Like there is nothing about you that should be related to the Christmas holiday. And, and this is the evidence that I'm pointing to. And this also speaks to why there's not been, not just, a, this is our last thought. We'll get out of here. We're at an hour 45. Um, there hasn't been like a great, like when we're holding Mariah Carey up as like the, like, oh, I guess Kelly Clarkson maybe has a song in the canon now too, but um, there hasn't, like when they put the, they put the oldies songs on or the oldie station turns over to Christmas music in October, it's all old stuff. It's all stuff from the fifties and sixties and forties. And they'll mix in modern versions of their songs of the old fifties and sixties songs. But like what? Mariah Carey's version of All I Want for Christmas You, maybe the la- that one and maybe Kelly Clarkson's Underneath the Tree, the last two songs to maybe enter the canon. It's what I'm saying. Mariah Carey for sure. Mariah Carey for sure. It's what I'm saying, though, is that we're so – we're desperate for nostalgia, but we're all tinged with real-world cynicism. And so – and Christmas is not about that, right? Christmas yeah, is you about – You got to shed it for magic that. Magic and wonder and blah, 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 blah. And we just can't do that without being – kind of cringy so there just there isn't anything there just isn't anything new that anyone's put out with that doesn't feel that way and, and you know what here's the thing and this is this is the last podcast we have on this for for peak cinema until christmas so i'm gonna i'm gonna take this for just a minute it's okay that that's the case yeah it's okay that we have traditions and it's okay that those traditions come from a time that some people deem as unsavory for a lot of reasons. And there, there are things about that time period that we should acknowledge as not good. We tried to do that with the minstrel show bit tonight, right? There's, there's a lot of things about tradition that aren't good, but there's a lot of familiar, fun, magical things about tradition that we need more of. Like, I got to tell you, and, and I don't know if they listen to this podcast or not, but my family has and my, my immediate family, my siblings and my parents have kind of taken this stance of where we are anti like, like Hallmark Christmas tradition, right? Santa Claus and, uh, and gifts under the tree. And, uh, you know, this, this sort of idea of a secular Christmas is not something that we're really interested in, which is fine for them. But as an idea writ large, let me just say that I find that super sad that we don't have these, these things that I grew up with, that we grew up with, that we can just love, right? That we can pass to our kids and, and have these magical Christmas holidays where one person can walk into a room dressed like Santa Claus and every kid in the room knows what the hell it means. And, and you know, it, it's not just about, you know, it's not lying to your kids. It's not telling them that it's, you know, that, that, you know, you have to be good for this magical being that watches you year round for presents and stuff like that. It's not about that. It's about that for them for a short time. But it, but what this comes down to is that we have traditions that connect us to our past and we need to hold on to those traditions because then you dive into the cynicism thing, because the thing that the, yeah. the through line of all of that, of all of that tradition, the the thing that ties all of it together into one central idea comes from this idea of hope uh, for the new year, for this the cleansing snow, the white Christmas. The you know, if you want to go so far as the religious argument, the 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 the, the Jesus thing with you know with the redemption and the, the beginning of that story, all of it comes down to the central idea of hope. 
And if you take that away, if you strip that away from every part of our society, every tradition that we do on Christmas, every movie that we make, you come up with this, this, this heartless, soulless, corporate, cynical Christmas. And I hate it. I fucking hate it because I love Christmas. And this is my holiday. And everything every year gets stripped away. And I feel like every year we're having this conversation again where we just want to have Christmas the way it was, but we're not willing to kind of shed this idea that everybody's got an angle long enough to just have some goddamn hope. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, absolutely. I think it's so easy to be cynical on Christmas, especially... Especially then you end up with Christmas songs like choreography. And do, do, do you do you want that? Do you want it or not? I don't mean to step on my soapbox there, but it just eats at me, man. It's every no, year it, I feel like we're doing this. I know I'm with you on this. This is what I talk about about getting back to basics. There has to be stuff that has to break through this kind of partisan wall. That just needs to be some. There has to be some general human things we just agree on and like. And even if we don't agree on them, right? Even if we don't agree on them, we do them for the kids. Yeah. Right? We have to acknowledge that there are things that we don't do for us. Right? Christmas isn't about us. Who cares how I feel on Christmas morning? I'm dad. My job is to be there for this kid. Right? My job is to make sure that the stockings are full and that he has a great fucking time. No matter how stressed I get. I argue that do you want to be the generation of the group of people where these things kind of die on the vine? Right, like well, and some people would argue that some people maybe they do would argue yes, they do. They, you know, and I don't want to do that. I think that that all of my best memories of Christmas are when I was a little kid, and yes, that's hundred percent. It's it's hard when you grow up and it starts to become about oh my god, do I have money for presents and who's getting what and oh my god, it's already December twenty second. What the hell am I going to do and yeah, and and I gotta and I, I gotta have some some stuff, some traditions that are literally yeah. they're not about anything offensive from our past. They're just about joy. They're Time when you felt fun. decent. There's yes. there's something to be said. Like, look, I grew up poor, right? And I know we want to wrap this up, so I'll, I'll be quick with this point. But Christmas is the one time of year where kids shouldn't shouldn't know that they're poor, right? They shouldn't have to think about. Parents shouldn't have to think about, do my kids know that we're poor? Am I getting my kids the get? One year for Christmas, I got a can of chunky soup because I wanted to try it. That sounds right? hot. And, and, and look, that may sound sad and it may sound like something that like, oh, yeah, what a great gift. But I wanted it. My parents it, didn't buy nice soup for us because we were poor. Was and it for Christmas, chunky? Was it creamy? No, it was, it was New England clam chowder and it was oh, delicious. Like yeah, give me and, creamy soup. And it was – it. I was so happy with it. One time I got a Game Boy game and I cried over it because we don't get fun things when I was a I kid. I got a case of Sprite one year because I wanted it. Same yeah. thing. I wanted it because I wanted that for myself. I didn't and want to share that enough. with anybody. It was enough. We don't have to give them iPads and, and all these giant things that make them super materialistic. Like I was happy with my football that I got every year. I got a new football every year. And I, I had like 20 when I when I graduated high school sitting in the garage out there. But I got a new football every year. I got the new Madden game and I got something to eat. And that was that was Christmas for me every year. And it was enough. Can I just say, can I just interject? This is why I am pro Christmas list. I always get yeah. the thing <laughs> on my list. And I always get the things on other people's lists for them. Because it's what they asked for. 
I'm just saying, if you had a list when you were five and it had soup on it, then uh, your parents follow the list. I am pro Christmas list. I uh, I just want to end this by saying I walked through the aisle today at Cub and I stopped at the creamy Campbell's chunky soups because oh, yeah. I really enjoy like I enjoy a good like a good chowder, if yes. you will. I've decided that as I get older, what are the things I enjoy? A good chowder. I enjoy a good chowder soup. I I mean, what does that that make me a bad guy? I'm not made of stone for Christ's sake. Anyway, I enjoy it. Guys, I love it. We went for almost two hours tonight, but you know what? We had a lot of stuff to talk about. It was great. I'm really glad we were able to sit down for Peak Cinema. Merry Christmas to both of you. Uh, You guys are, are dear, 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 dear friends. You got the first Christmas with the little guy. It's a very cool thing. Very cool thing indeed. want to take a couple minutes here as well to say a Merry Christmas to all of our fans, people who uh, watch, listen to the pod in different parts of the country, and I do appreciate you doing that. And I uh, hope you have a lovely holiday. Hope you uh, take some time out to do some of those things that Ryan, Lauren, and I are big fans of. Like, go out, hang out with people. Even if the house that you're going to is going to be very small and very cramped, and there's not a lot of elbow room, and I might find myself, oh, I mean, I'm not just talking about me here, sitting in a stairwell for two hours by myself looking at my phone because I just simply need elbow room for five seconds. Um, I'm not saying that's going to be me. I'm just pointing that out that if that's you, you know what? You put your goddamn head down and deal with it and get through it and have a great time because these things are finite. They are not forever. They're not permanent. So enjoy them while you have them. One year you're uh, going to go to your family's gathering and it'll be the last year it'll be at that house and you'll remember it forever. 100%. 100%. So uh, thanks for tuning in on Peak Cinema. Merry Christmas to everybody. And you can go find us, Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. Please like, subscribe, comment. We'd appreciate that. And we will get right back to Peak Cinema at the new year. And it'll be very, very soon indeed. So until next time, for Lauren, for Ryan, this is Tim saying keep your head up. And we'll see you.